Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck it Hey, Brewers fans, welcome back to episode six of Brewers Unfiltered. Sophia Minner, Adam McAlvey, Tim Dillard here with you. Uh, Tim, remote on assignment in Milwaukee. Adam and I continuing the journey of this West Coast trip <laughs> through Arizona, San Diego, and Seattle. We're sitting here Tuesday morning. Um, and overall, guys, things have gone really well for the team on this trip. Um, they did drop the series in Arizona. It was their first series loss. Uh, but then came back over the weekend, won three out of four against the Padres. A lot to talk about with that series. Um, a lot of great moments coming out of that series as well. And as we're sitting here on Tuesday morning, uh, they did get game one against the Seattle Mariners last night. However, this trip has come with some adversity. Most recently, um, I think all the Brewers fans were holding their breath uh, to see Corbin Burns come out of the game last night in the sixth inning. After just 85 pitches, um, we did hear from Craig and Corbin after the game last night. They're describing it as left peck tightness, maybe a little bit of a strain. Uh, fortunately for him, it came on on a tag play of Eugenio Suarez, started feeling it later in the game. So it did not come on a pitch, and it is not his throwing arm. However, he did have to leave the game. So that's now Corbin Burns that had to leave his start, and obviously Brandon Woodruff was placed on the I.L., um, earlier this road trip as well. So Adam, I said, since you're here with us in Seattle, just kind of your reaction to what happened with Corbin last night and what that could mean here moving forward. Two, two big thoughts for me. One, what an awesome play that it happened on and what a <laughs> bummer it happened on that play because the way Craig, the way I wrote it and Craig council said this, it's like a great athlete, how you describe a quarterback, seeing the whole field, someone who's really smart and understands the game. So Corbin Burns took the, the pitch timer all the way down it, after Jared Kelnick had got in the box really early and engaged with the pitcher and hitters hate to have to stand there forever. And they don't want to burn that time out unless they have to. So Corbin Burns, we all thought was messing with Kelnick's timing. It turns out he was messing with Suarez's timing at second base as he's kind of dancing off second base. So a really awesome play. And, and I'm just bummed out that that's the play that it happened on because it kind of ruins the story of a great play. Um, number two, I bet that everybody listening to this right now and reading that they said minor says, well, you said Brandon Woodruff was minor and that turned out to be not minor. And that is a very understandable reaction for people. Here's what I would say as we sit here right now, waiting more information today, Brandon Woodruff had an MRI the next day. So there was something there that they didn't like. Uh, Corbin Burns told us last night, at least that the plan was that there was no MRI schedule that it didn't nearly rise to the level that that was required. We're talking about different things, obviously shoulder versus your chest, but I thought that was notable at least to perhaps calm those of you listening who are worried because these minor things can become something different. And just generally speaking at the risk of rambling at the very start of this thing, you know, when they, when guys come out of the game, we all know what we all want to know what happened. And I always feel for like, you know, Jeff and Vinny last night with you and so uh, and Sophia on TV where you're doing this broadcast and you're trying to tell the story of a game and all anyone's thinking about is what happened to Corbin Burns and you don't get information. But that is a hard position for the team to be in, because if they come out and say something, you know, normally it'll be something super vague, a uh, left chest discomfort. And we laugh about discomfort. A guy walks off the mound missing three limbs 
and they say, you know, extremity discomfort. <laughs> and meanwhile, you know, one of his legs is out there on the mound. Um, but it, you know, it's how do you do it right then? Like you want to tell what actually happened, but you don't want to jump the gun. So I understand where people get frustrated where something is like characterized as minor and then it turns out not to be. That's just medicine. Um, so I would give them a little bit of grace as they try to navigate those types of things, especially when it's such an important player. So anyway, that's my long rambling explanation for why right now, as we sit here, it looks from what Corbin or heard from what Corbin Burns had to say that it's maybe no big deal. And he may make his next start uh, right on time. Well, I'll go capitalize. Now on that we're the- done with the show, we're out of time. Here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for playing. Make sure you give a five-star review. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will uh, piggyback on that. So it not being his throwing arm and being, you know, a pectoral muscle or, you know, whatever on that left side, he is violent on the front side tells me that he probably could have pitched through it. And I think the game got to a point where he felt safe enough to be like, you know what? I don't have to keep pitching through this. And I think if it comes down to it in, in four days from now or five days, I, he could probably go out there and pitch. So I that right there is encouraging. It's not something I think that is going to sideline him for a long time. And so then again, the piggyback, that play has probably never happened in history is what is what I saw last night. Mm-hmm. And it could only have happened in that situation. So if you go back to the inning, what was it? It was the fourth inning. Uh, there's two outs. Kelnick, who's the hottest hitter on the planet right now. Yep. Uh, is at the plate. There's it's first and second. So number one, if there's nobody on first and just a man on second, it's not going to work. If there's a man on third and the bases are loaded, it's not going to work. If it's not a three, two count, it's not going to work. So everything's in the favor of the runner taking off early. So then when he sits there and he just waits and holds the pitch and everyone thinks he's messing with the, the batter, you kind of drop your guard a little bit. Suarez was like, well, I'm going to get a good jump right here. Cause Kelnick's been crushing the ball. So uh, to me, that right there at that moment for him, for Corbin Burns to just be it, almost like an outer body experience for him to see it from the bird's eye view of what was going on on the field is absolutely incredible. If I was there, one of the things I would ask is, has that been a conversation? Because at such a very specific play. Did someone bring that up? Yeah. Who knew this was going to be a, a ripple side effect of the pitch clock? But anyway, I found well, but he just to answer that, Tim, because he, he did kind of address that. He said it Ooh. came to him when when Kellenick engaged for that pitch right away. Burns was extending him. He was trying to get yeah. Jared Kellenick uncomfortable in the box. But then he said with about five or six seconds left, he thought, well, wait, maybe we can use this to our advantage here. That's unbelievable. So, so according to him, you know, who knows whether it was something that, you know, who would have been the, is that a Walker thing? Is that a Craig council thing? I don't even know Chris hook. I don't know who would be the coach that would come up with something like that. Maybe it is something they talked about in spring training. They have those daily meetings with the pitchers to go over the yesterday. And they talk about everything that happened in the game yesterday and it easily could have come up. So we'll have to dig in a little bit more about whether that was something that they'd been waiting for the opportunity to do. Yeah. I guarantee no one else has done that. No one else has done that play. Probably won't see it again the rest of the year because that's one of those plays, just like with you, Darvish, on Sunday. It's one of those plays that's going to ripple through the major leagues and everybody know, like, hey, this is this is a possibility. All the yeah. all the the first base coach, the third base coach, they're going to get with their guys and be like, listen, in this situation, they're, they're going to have to remember that. So anyway, it's probably a one-off. So I hope we all enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Pat Murphy is the one that does a lot of that, of controlling the running game. Like, Pat Murph is always the one that runs, you know, PFPs for pitchers on the homestand. He spends a lot of time with them on that in spring training. And Adam, when we were talking to Corbin about that last night, he said, you know, Murph always thinks he's, you know, he was kind of joking. Like Murph always thinks he's one step ahead, but I kind of got him on that one. So oh, gonna- you know what? I didn't understand what he meant when he said that. That makes so much. I honestly, you're teaching me something. I didn't know that Murph is the uh, running game guru. Well, he, I mean, he's certainly not the only one, right? Because as Tim, as you know, right. So much of holding runners comes from, you know, being being on the mound right in, in your delivery and it requires the catcher right i mean there's so many pieces <laughs> um yeah. of of controlling the running game and that's something that i think collectively they all work on and by that i mean you know chris hook and jim and walker and 
Charlie Green is involved in that process at spring training. Um, but, you know, at, at home, it's Murph that's doing all the PFP stuff and challenging yep. them on that, asking guys to come out for individual work on that. Um, so I think I think that Corbin was referring to when he made the comment about Murph last night. And like, I think with all these injuries, like Corbin sounded pretty calm and like optimistic about what this meant for him moving forward of he described it more as tightness and cramping and and these guys know their bodies especially Corbin you know better than anybody um you know hearing him talk about kind of what he was feeling in that sixth inning of that walk to JP Crawford right it was four straight pitches out of the zone and then even with Julio Rodriguez that last at bat started again I think with one or two balls and he just felt He's like, I didn't have command of anything, just felt like he. And so for Corbin to feel compromised like that and recognize it and say, I'm coming out of the game before this, this before this becomes a more serious problem. He knows himself. He knows his body. He's absolutely not going to perform at any level if he feels that compromised that he can't command the ball the way that he wants to. And I think he also knows what he means to this team, right? He doesn't want to miss significant time at all. Um, and he's done such a phenomenal job of that in his career. So I think these next couple of days are going to be pretty critical in terms of the treatment that he gets and how soon he can start his throwing program, get back on the mound for a bullpen and what that means for the rest of the week. Um, and that kind of segues into the Brit. So go ahead, Adam. Well, I was going to say he, if we're looking for one other little thing to make us all feel good, he shared that play on, on his Instagram. Mm-hmm. So if he was hurting, I, I'm not maybe I mean, look, I'm being armchair really looking into something here as psychologist. Uh, but he did share that play on Instagram. So that would make me feel better too if I was a worry wart. <laughs> well, he's pretty proud of the play. He should be. It was great. Yeah, it was a great play. And he caught Brian Anderson by surprise over at third base. Like, yep. you know, well, Brian uh, Anderson wasn't expecting that either. And another layer to that is the fact that your natural instinct as a pitcher, when you when you do an inside move is to just give the ball up. A lot of times guys will commit and start running to third. You have to do that. If they start running back to second, you got to do that. Corbin Burns, recognizing that Suarez was just kind of hanging out there, you run right at him and make that runner commit. So then then once he commits a direction, you got to give up the baseball. Well, then what do you do? Your body tells you run to second base. I don't know why, but you're supposed to run to third. There was so much awareness by Corbin Burns on that play. That's the reason we've spent the first 12 minutes of this show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Talking about one pickoff. Inside move pickoff. I, it's just brilliant, brilliant move. Well, some other things have happened on this road trip, aside <laughs> from Corbin Burns. Um, and look, you know, Brandon Woodruff is on the IL. Um, again, as we're sitting here Tuesday, Colin Ray is going to get a second start. Uh, with Woody out and we know that Woody is going to miss more than the minimum amount of time right Um, he had the MRI it revealed the the scap strain for him he's going to be reevaluated when the team gets back to Milwaukee and and that's probably going to dictate more of a clear timeline in terms of when he can begin throwing again what that means for rehab and build up and then ultimately when he can rejoin the rotation so uh, you know, we we talked about this depth, depth, depth. It's being tested here early, but what Colin Ray showed in that first start against San Diego, like above and beyond delivered. Um, and we're going to get a second look at him tonight here in Seattle. So I guess, what do you guys think overall with, with the Woodruff situation? You're getting a look at Colin Ray. We know Adrian Hauser is rehabbing. Corbin, it seems like it's going to turn out okay, but I mean, there's... There's been some uh, some tests here already pretty early. Um, I, I I thought Ray did a fantastic job. We actually faced off against each other in 2019. He was in Iowa. So I've got to see him up close. Uh, guy 6'5", has a great angle on his pitches. You just don't see that very often. And he was so precise, really. Uh, so he gave up a home run to Machado in the first inning. But after that, he was nails. In fact, uh, he faced the minimum. Uh, after the first inning and 14 batters face 14 outs that's pretty that's pretty elite and I think for any pitcher command is key but he had an extra element to that he was executing all three pitches fastball cutter uh, curveball slider or just every, anything that came out of his hand the sweeper right they're calling it the sweeper now mm-hmm. um, he just had it all working and again we talk about this Padres lineup 
for him to just show up. He was preparing for Norfolk in AAA, and suddenly he's facing, uh, you know, a team that's worth a quarter of a billion dollars. So it's it's a pretty big deal, um, and I think he handled it well. And I think he earned the respect and earned the chance to get out there again. And now, I mean, you can say it's out of necessity, like he has to throw again, but they could have also gone another direction with somebody else. And, you know, he earned that spot. So I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, he's going up against, uh, is it Logan? What, what's his name? The Mariners guy? Um, Logan Gilbert. Gilbert, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's six six. So what's your, you watch the game tonight, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of legs and arms being thrown around on that mound. You know, Con Ray is interesting because he feels probably to some Brewers fans like, who is this guy? Because he was in big league camp, but I don't think he got a lot of ink. And that's maybe our fault for not recognizing that he could be an early call up. And he did pitch for them at the end of 2021. He gave him actually a really kind of sneaky, important outing because they were resting Corbin Burns for game one of the playoffs against the Braves. And so Burns went short and then Ray covered like six innings and, and they lost the game. It was a meaningless game for the Brewers in the standings, but Ray ate up some innings that let everybody rest. It was kind of a sneaky big outing that Craig Council said they really thanked him for. And he just ate up a bunch um, of innings that they wanted him to eat. And then the Brewers liked him and wanted to bring him back last year. But Ray was had like a contractual situation that he he had to go back to Japan. Um, because he was obligated to do so based on his contract. So they, the Brewers actually wanted to bring him back last year. So, you know, again, to Brewers fans, he probably feels like a random dude, but he's not. He's a guy that they actually really like and, and, and earmarked him early on for this spot. I would say for Woodruff, it's disappointing, and we're all sort of awaiting word, and I think he is too, about how long this is going to be. He's going to get back to see, you know, the doctor's always there on the first game of a homestand. So he'll get a good checkup at American Family Field when the Brewers get back. And then I think we'll know much more about what kind of timeline he's facing. And, you know, he almost felt bad <laughs> not being able to tell us. But I think he is curious to know as well. But he did make that one comment that freaked you out a little bit. He's like, if this happened at midseason, it could be bad for the rest of my year. And I don't know if that's just him guessing. Or if he has some information about what this timeline could be. And for now, I would say we just have to wait until, what, probably through the weekend before yeah. we kind of get some word. Yeah, and I think for him, too, as he told us in San Diego, he's never had an arm injury. So yeah. this is really new for him, um, for it to be shoulder, his throwing arm. He's dealt with pretty much everything else, right? I mean, going back to his debut, if it's been hamstrings it's been obliques it's been ankles rain out syndrome but never an arm injury so I think that is also stressful for any pitcher and he admitted that it's stressful when it's your throwing arm and you just don't know you're sitting in this gray area where you just don't know and there's no plan and he's not throwing so he feels a little out of sorts I think as as anyone would and when you're as routine oriented as these guys are and he also came in feeling physically as good as he ever has he was pitching well he had the best spring probably of any Brewers pitcher. Yes. Yeah. And, and he, and he started off on a great start too, which he always tries to do. So um, definitely frustrating for, for Woody, but I think this is also a great opportunity to give Wade Miley a little love because through three games, Wade Miley has one five earned run average and he's been really steady for them while all of this has been going on. And I think that Sunday start against San Diego, I mean, it's very early, but that's, that might stand up as one of the best starts of the season um, by any of the starters. It was seven shutout innings, no walks, eight strikeouts. It was like a very classic Wade Miley, quick inning, efficient, just in control of the game through against a very tough lineup and it ends up being a one to nothing shutout and what capped off a great series in San Diego. To me, that is like on a short list of my favorite regular season games ever mm -hmm. um, because of all of the things that happened, the Miley outing and the backdrop of just learning about Brandon Woodruff being out and sort of where they're at as a pitching staff. Um, Peter Strzelecki pitching the eighth was a very underrated moment in that game and doing it in, in eight pitches. Um, he is so important to what they're trying to figure out in the pen and 
I said last week, you know, the pen uh, color me um, skeptical about the bullpen performance so far, and they keep doing it. It's just, it's been like incredible performance by those guys. The Devin Williams drama ending with a matchup against an old teammate, uh, minor all the way back to the minor leagues when he was named Trent Clark. Uh, that was a really cool way to end it, where there's this guessing game between the two guys on that final pitch. Uh, and then Mitchell manufacturing a run in a way that's never been done before in the history of Major League Baseball, in that you Darvish had that disengagement penalty. I don't even know how the terminology we use, where he disengaged the third time without knowing it because he didn't know he'd done it, the, been charged with the first one. And Mitchell taking second, then sealing third and scoring. So that probably is the first run ever manufactured in Major League Baseball, specifically because of these new rules. So it was just an awesome game all around. I'll take one to nothing in San Diego over 10 to nothing in the home opener against the Mets with the Bryce Terang slam and all that stuff. I thought that was just a great baseball game. And if I can just jump into, I thought just the intensity of that game, right? I mean, even with Wade as in control as he was, like one nothing is never comfortable, right? Especially yeah. against a lineup like that. And it was just, I don't know, it was it was intense, right? And like all that drama of the ninth inning. And, and also too, like as much as we've talked about the pitch clock, like I did not think that that affected any of the drama at all. If, if anything, I felt it kind of added to it because it just was like, you were just forced to move on to like the next pitch. Right. And, and Devin spoke about that after the game too, right? Like he ran that clock down all the way down to yeah. one in that last pitch against Grisham um, because he himself was trying to catch his breath. Right. Of just, it was a long inning. It was 33 pitches for him. I, to me, it felt it was an, it was an April game on a Sunday it was an April series. It's very early, but it really, it had the intensity of like a playoff game. It was great. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch. It was a big game. And here's what I, you look back at the three previous games in San Diego, there were 33 runs scored. So then you come to this fourth game and it's so pivotal. The Brewers have a chance. I mean, if you split with them on the road, it's like, oh yeah, great. But if you get three out of four, that's a huge deal. And you could tell the Padres were kind of scared a little bit. But they got you Darvish on the mound. So you know that he's going to be out there carving with his nine different pitches. And so I think why <laughs> I think Miley knew that he was like, you know what? I'm going to have to be really good. I'm going to have to be. And and that in those moments, you just kind of get locked in or you don't. And he got locked in and he was fantastic. And he was so you, Tim, can you answer this question for real? Because I actually asked Wade Miley that you Darvish came out in that game and struck out Christian Yelich, Willie Adamas, and Rowdy Telez. On 10 pitches, he was one pitch away from an immaculate inning. And I asked Wade Miley, I said, you watch that. What are you thinking when you're going out to the mound? And he gave me the, uh, no, no, it doesn't matter. I got to go out and I'm I'm not doing a very good Wade Miley accent. I got to go out and get outs. Not, you know, it doesn't matter what the other guy's doing. That's untrue. That's not true. Is it? Well, you're sitting there and you're watching and you're like, this guy, I mean, you can just see from the sidelines, like this guy's good. You know, I know he had a couple of bad outings, but in that inning, he came out though, and the first pitch was a curveball. Are you kidding me? You only do that if you know exactly what your game plan is. And his splitter was unhittable, absolutely Mm -hmm. unhittable. Um, So I think in that moment, you're like, probably like, oh, yeah, this is you, Darvish. The guy's been around forever and he's got, you know, five time all star. Like, of course he's going to pull that off, right? I I think he's honest by saying that, but I think the, the little chink in the armor, the little kryptonite that got to Superman for you, Darvish, was the second inning with Mitchell. I think Mitchell is the one that saw that first inning and was like, I don't want to go to a deep count with this guy. <laughs> this guy's this guy's throwing amazing stuff. And that's only going to get worse the more pitches I see. And I think he went out there. I don't know what prompted the bunt idea, but for him to, you know, not wait till it's a you know, a no-hit situation in the sixth, but go up there and say, I'm going to do it early. Second inning, lays a bunt down. Ends up getting a balk to second base on he can't triple stamp a double stamp you Darvish sorry and then just steals third he could have done it standing up and for Brian Anderson who already has you know a, a sack fly this year it recognizes the situation and gets him in I think that right there was the biggest thing is that the uh, the guys on the bench were watching what you Darvish was doing and knowing that we only have a small little window to try to make something happen here and it took a rookie to kind of make that happen 
Um, well, Tim, but, we know that you're a fan of the sack fly. You're on record I, in this yeah, podcast I'm, as loving the, the sacrifice fly. Here's the real Brewers are on pace for like 60 sack flies, and they only had like 37 last year. And I, the reason that's a big deal is because they always erred on the side of, okay, well, I'm just going to hit a home run instead. And mm-hmm. as a pitcher, I'd love to face a team that could give two craps about a man on third less than two outs. I'm like, I don't want to give up any runs, but if you want to swing for the fence and pop up to the infield, that just helps me. But now you're seeing a bunch of guys walk up there and they know the assignment. <laughs> and Contreras is one of them. Rowdy Telez, Brian Anderson, they're going up and they, they're they taking their RBIs. You look at guys with 100 RBIs every year, you start looking at sack flies. Aaron Judge had five last year. He just was a beast. That was a very special year. But if you want your RBIs, you got to get them when they're passing them out. And that's why you're seeing guys hit dribblers to the right side if they're going to you know, play back and guys hitting sack flies. It's all about the runs, and it hasn't always been that with the Brewers in this way. And now we're seeing it, and it's awesome. All right, well, you know who isn't giving up sack flies is Peter Strzelecki. Um, <laughs> Compete is out here competing to start the season. Um, eight games for him. He came in for the game last night for Corbin uh, when Corbin had to leave the game. Adam said, you know, he was the guy in the eighth um, in a one to nothing game to set up Devin Williams. That was a big spot for for Pete. Um, I mean, Strzelecki's just been great. And it feels like he has all the trust and confidence of Craig and Chris Hook and Jim Henderson with all these spots that they're putting Pete in. Well, he's earned it. Um, and you know, we, uh, spoke to Pete before the game yesterday, Todd Rosiak and I, because he's in that role where the writers always forget those, not forget, but we never give those guys their due. And Tim, I've talked to you about this a bunch. It's the worst thing about what we do is we only talk to like Brad Boxberger, for example, when he gives up a game, you know, gives up the lead. (laughs) Yeah. Right. When he gives up like a go ahead Homer in the seventh, that's when we talk to Brad Boxberger, when he holds the lead in the seventh, something else is the story of the day. And it's the most unfair part about that role. But what we keep asking Peter Strzucki is, do you like recognize how cool it is what you're doing? (laughs) Basically, uh, you know, this is, this falls into the category of stuff we mention every time we say his name, but zero spring training innings going into last year. And now he's pitching the eighth inning of a one to nothing game in San Diego against, as Tim said, the quarter of a billion dollar Padres You might be <laughs> underestimating a little bit there. Um, it's a, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's, it's like an only in baseball kind of thing. Um, and you know, his answer is always kind of the same. It's like, well, I'll think about that later. And he keeps telling mm-hmm. us that because he's just <laughs> doing the job. Um, it's probably going to be like later in his career, whenever, you know, hopefully that's a long time from now. And he's had a bunch of success and he can look back and say, man, that's a, uh, my career path did not follow the normal career path of a major league baseball player because his certainly so far is not. And it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. And like I said, the main thing is they really need him because they've remade this bullpen and they're figuring out who, the, who are those guys. Matt Bush is having trouble with home runs still uh, gave up another Homer last night. Um, and you know, he's got to tame that because it's, it's just it's too high a rate right now um it's eight home runs in 28 and two-thirds innings with the brewers so you know if he brings if he kind of controls the homer ball he'd be another option for the eighth but right now um it'll be some kind of mix and strzucki's going to be prominent in it i thought was amazing you know him throwing the eighth inning the other day in san diego and he faces what carpenter trying to think i wrote it down somewhere carpenter bogarts and machado right? And does it on eight pitches. And you're thinking, man, he's the eighth inning guy. And then after that, Devin Williams, those 33 pitches. So you thought no way he has a chance to pitch the next day. And we found out later that he, you know, we saw him in the bullpen up and throwing, which that's a whole separate issue. I love that. I think he would not be throwing in the bullpen down there getting loose if he didn't want to be. So props to Devin Williams. But the fact that Craig Council decided the game was hinging on that moment in the sixth and decided when Burns was coming out, he could go to several options, but he was like, no, Peter Strzelecki is the guy that's coming out. So not only is he pitching the important eighth inning, he's also pitching the most important you know, part of the game that they thought in that sixth inning with the game still reachable. So as a pitcher, as a, as a bullpen <clears throat> guy, when you have to be ready in the fifth inning, sixth inning, and then also the eighth and the ninth, like he's just, <laughs> he's, 
he didn't know they're like what's my role your role is you're going to pitch the most important <laughs> the most important inning it takes to get to Devin Williams like where whatever that lands you're going to have it that's your role and he's done phenomenal his his pitches and he's getting better I know Sophia you talked to him about his sinker I mean mm -hmm. it is absolutely filthy everything he throws you can't predict it some pitchers you can watch and you'll say, okay, he's going to go to this right here. You can see the count. You can see the sequences. You cannot get that from Peter Strezlecki. He has so many options he can go to. You sit there and watch it on TV and you have no idea what's coming next. Yeah, Peter Strezlecki has been a huge piece of, of the pen so far. It's been eight games for him. Um, he might be leading the team in appearances. Oh, Hobie Milner has also appeared in eight games. So he and Hobie are, are leading the pen in appearances. And Devin, I mean... Hard to ask anything more from him than what he gave the team Sunday. Um, and, and as you guys said, he was he was up and he was available um, last night if he needed. And then those add-on runs, um, it was Yoel Piams who ended up coming in. So that bullpen with all the questions that we had about it, um, a 211 earned run average so far through the first 17 games. So they are certainly getting the job done. Um, we're going to take a quick break because we've got so much more to get to and William Contreras is going to be at the top of the list for his work behind the plate. So stick around. We got more coming up on Brewers Unfiltered. Back on Brewers Unfiltered, Sophia, Adam, and Tim here with you. And uh, guys, we've talked a lot about the pitching staff. We always do. But William Contreras, um, we've talked a lot about the offense, the 11-game hitting streak, He's in the lineup virtually every day. We've seen him as a DH a couple times. Um, but his work behind the plate, um, we are hearing the pitchers start to talk about it, about just what an incredibly hard worker he is. He is working to get calls for them behind the plate, the game planning. Um, so I think defensively, we've we've got to dive into what what William is doing to help these pitchers perform the way that they are right now. Well, it's gotten serious because I was emailing yesterday morning with Mike Petriello, our MLB.com stats guru. So you know when Petriello is involved that we're dealing with something, a serious matter here. And Contreras, it's early, but you know the beauty, one of the things that's cool about StatCast is the catcher framing stuff because it puts numbers and some data onto something that Tim can attest to has always been a part of baseball, but never quantified. So like forever catchers have tried to steal strikes. Um, but now it's become something that is for all of us more quantifiable and Contreras going into yesterday. <clears throat> so there's this, there's a stat where they can look at of non swings on the edges, how many turn into called strikes and that's partly how they rate catchers. And Contreras going into yesterday had gone from like 45% in the past to 54%, getting called strikes on 54% of non-swings on the edges. And as Petriello put it, it's going from the 20th percentile to the 93rd percentile. So, you know, from the bottom fifth of catchers to the top seven or eight percent. And it shows what a big jump. Contreras has made and I was talking to Nestor Corridor yesterday about it and he says it's just a guy who's committed to the job like a guy who showed up two weeks early uh, to spring training knows that the Brewers have a reputation for helping catchers in this area and committed to it and it's just a it's a matter of um, putting in the work and being athletic enough and smart enough and committed enough to make it happen it's a it's a really cool uh, transition and it's happened for me at least Tim you I'd like to hear what you have to say because you've worked with so many catchers I did not see this happening so quickly yeah so there's a lot of thoughts on this um, there was a time there was about a few year stretch where catchers it didn't matter it was almost uh, there were, it was frowned upon umpires didn't like it if you caught it and held it you know so you had some catchers that were just catching the ball and almost like throwing it back to the pitcher assuming the umpire is going to call it where it crosses but now it goes back to Little League where it's about framing. And that's where we've been the last, you know, five or six years. Um, Dom Catronio is going to post a video today. I hope I don't ruin this. I think it's it may already be out. I just checked. I don't think it is. But he went back and looked at last year some of the bottom of the zone pitches that Contreras was catching. And then he he shows what he's doing with the Brewers now. So what he's doing is he's sticking the ball 
when he was with the Braves last year at the bottom of the zone and he's just holding his glove there and they're balls. They're called balls. And then he kind of just takes the ball out of his glove from his hip and throws it back to the pitcher. Now what you're seeing with the Brewers, he is coming up with that ball. He's catching it. He's bringing it to the zone. And then when he's going to throw it back to the pitcher, he puts he's taking his glove back to his shoulder or up by his ear to throw it back. I know it seems like it's very subtle, but it's giving the illusion that he caught it at any point as he's coming up with his glove because he has to do that because that's where he throws the ball back to the pitcher from. And it's genius. This is what the Brewers have been doing for a while. For whatever reason, umpires keep falling into the trap of, yeah, that's a good pitch. You know, and then you have the other team screaming for, you know, robot umpires and Skynet. So um, uh, props to him (laughs) for being, you know, at whatever level. And now I went even a step further because I have a computer that's newer now. You guys know that. And he is, I believe, fifth in defensive runs saved. I think he has four. I think he's at four right now. And uh, Joey Weimer's tied first with nine, of course, but that's pretty amazing stuff. You know, have a catcher that's doing that much work, not only with framing, but blocking. Um, I think there's only been seven stolen base attempts. So that's a credit to him and Caratini. And of course, the pitchers for keeping them close, but it's just all encompassing. He's fitting right in with this team and what they're trying to do. Yeah, I think I think Nestor has a huge part of that. I'm glad you talked to him, Adam. I think he's got the full like trust and confidence of, I think Vic and I think Vic Caratini um, he's not getting as much playing time as what we saw a year ago, but I think Vic has been really huge in this process as well because William knew Vic from when Vic and Wilson were teammates with the, with the Cubs in in 2016. So he got to know Vic then sort of like in passing. Right. And Coming over, I think Vic was one of the first people, obviously, to reach out to him. And those two are pretty much attached at the hip at spring training. And I think Vic has been really helpful to William in this whole process. And we've talked a lot about how Craig has been so impressed by how William has gone through the process of, like, just being a sponge, taking everything in, all of the information, learning the pitchers, being proactive in that process, relying on all of the resources around him, too, and now he's kind of taking ownership of it, right? And and I think it's cool too now that we're hearing the pitchers and their feedback, like Wade Miley was talking about it. Um, I think Woody had talked about it before, you know, just he's he's smart behind the plate. They like the games that he's calling. They know what he's doing for them uh, behind the plate too, right? And picking up some of those calls and what that means for them to get into advantage counts. So um, William, William has definitely done a great job. And you think like, too, it's, it's April and we're talking about this, like imagine what happens when we get to the middle part of the season, right? The more that he can continue to learn these guys and the more comfortable he gets, um, you think that it's only gonna turn out to be better for him. Um, and then just some other, some other things to talk about on the road trip guys is, um, you know, the freshmen, of course, um, they're settling into their seasons as well, just like we all are. Welcome so, to Major League Baseball. Welcome to Major League Baseball. I don't know if you guys have heard this before. Baseball is a game of failure. Um, <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Sophia, you coined that phrase and it stuck with me. Back of my baseball card reminds me of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um And look, these guys are not failing by any stretch of the imagination. Um, They are playing phenomenal defense. Craig has said that too, of like, for him, the defense that stands out is two names, Joey Weimer and Bryce Terang. Um, Those two have been just stellar defensively. Um, But, you know, now we're getting to, what, almost 20 games now into the season, still very, very early. Uh, But here's some of the numbers so far for those guys. So Garrett Mitchell, 15 games in a 278 average. He's hitting two, uh, sorry. He's in 269 here on this road trip. Bryce Terang, 16 games in. He's hitting 283, two homers, hit the pinch hit homer last night, ambushed first pitch for Bryce Terang. That was his, as Adam pointed out, his first home run that wasn't a grand slam. Mm. Good job, Bryce Terang. <laughs> yep. And then Joey Weimer, 16 games in, a 176 average, the one homer from the home opening home stand, five RBIs. And on the road trip, Joey's had had some tough luck, one for 24. So I think it's, you know, they got off to this great start. They had huge moments. And now it's okay, you're in the big leagues every day and you're fist, you're facing big league pitching every day, right? And and they're learning a lot um in these first couple of weeks. 
Yeah, Mitchell and Terang have brought those road trip numbers up in the last couple of days. Tim, you said before about you know when what Mitchell made Mitchell think to bunt against you, Darvish. I think yep. a big part of it is at that time he was four for twenty-two with twelve strikeouts in his in the last six games. So he was in a you know his first stretch where it was tough, and you know he sees Machado back a little bit and thinks, why not bunt? Try to get something going, and it was a great idea. For a guy with his speed, maybe the best speed in baseball up there, at least in the top handful of players. So there have been struggles, particularly for Joey Weimer, that super aggressive approach probably works a little better in double A and triple A than it does in the majors where just everything is that much better in terms of the pitching. So um, the thing Craig Council said that makes these guys so valuable, Sophia mentioned this, is their defense. That even if Joey Weimer is in a stretch where he's really not hitting, he can win games for you with the defense. And as a team, their defense is so much better. And um, again, we were talking about this with the manager before one of the games the other day, that this has not gotten probably enough attention. The fact that their, their defense is so improved from what it was last year. Brian Anderson's a huge part of that, but also... And I, uh, William Contreras behind the plate, let's mention him there too. But also these, these young guys are a really big part of why they're, they're, def- they're just a great defensive team um, relative to what they were. And it's why they're going to keep playing these guys. Yeah. I, so first off, minor leagues has changed. Triple uh, A is not traveling across the country like it used to the, the sporadic road schedule. So it's not as much of a grind. I think probably the big league travel may be a little bit more of a grind now, the way the the schedule and the way they have scheduled off days in the minor leagues. That being said, I think that's kind of what these guys are getting used to is just the everyday grind of the big leagues. And you know what? Garrett Mitchell batting 278, I would take that any day of the week. Yeah. There's tons of people that would wish they were batting 278 in the big leagues right now. And Bryce Terang batting 283. Everybody would take that. Are you kidding? And they both got home runs. They got stolen bases. The thing about Weimer, 176, he's been hitting the ball pretty hard at times and just not getting any luck, uh, which you kind of need that on your side. But he also has five RBIs, two stolen bases. And, you know, if he's the best defensive player in the game right now, defensive run saved, here's my theory. I think if you save a run, you should get a run, right? Like, I think he should be credited an RBI, (laughs) Because, right, isn't that a swing? Like, you know, that's the same as hitting a home run if he takes away a run on the on the defensive side. So if you want to start doing that, then he has, you know, <laughs> might be leading baseball in home runs and RBIs, right? So, you know, you can't just look at the, the numbers, you know, just offensively when you have, you know, this kind of uh, defense that they're playing. And their second, um, let's see, where did I write this down? Some of uh, the run differential, right? They're second in baseball and run differential. And that's yeah. not just offense. That is keeping runs off the board. So that goes obviously to pitching, but then defense is doing a phenomenal job. They're clicking on all cylinders. So is Joey Weimer going to come around? Yes. Is everyone else doing their part? Absolutely. So I, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. And I think with Garrett, it's like Garrett has the advantage of that. He went through this last year, right? He's had good stretches that he can kind of hang his hat on. He obviously has more experience than them. He's He came in with that advantage. When I was talking to Connor Dawson the other day, he was raving about Bryce Train. He said, listen, Bryce has done an outstanding job of knowing himself and being selective and taking advantage of the pitches that he can hit. And that's pretty rare for a young player to figure that out that early. But he said Bryce has done an outstanding job of that. And like we always talk about, the development for these guys and their production and the ups and downs that is inevitable for everybody. It happens at different times, right? For everybody. And and Craig always, I mean, we were talking about this with Jared Kelnick um, as we got the series started with the Mariners. It's just, it's not, it doesn't look the same for everybody. So these guys are like, you know, right. I mean, right at the very beginning um, of, of what we hope are really long careers here. And, it's, we're gonna go, we're gonna talk about this a lot, right? The ups and downs of what their seasons are gonna look like. And again, it's only April, so we'll see. Uh, well, you, we'll see how this all plays out. You can never take away one thing from Bryce Terang. He now has more career home runs than his father. 
And Mike Vassallo told you to say that. <laughs> Mike Vassallo pointed that he must have said something to council because as we were leaving council's office last night, council made sure that we were all aware of that fact. So look, <laughs> I mean, if that were me, I would be reminding my dad of that every day. I love you, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Dad. I love you. I have more home runs than you. Yeah. <laughs> In the thanks, Dad, for all the help getting me here. Thanks, yeah. uh, thanks, Brian Durang. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll do some rapid round talking about the road trip and we'll wrap this thing up. So stick around. Wrapping up this edition of Brewers Unfiltered, some rapid round road trip edition, uh, starting the season off with a nice 10 day road trip through Phoenix, San Diego, and now Seattle. And this one's kind of fun because the team has not been back in Seattle since 2016. Uh, so it has been a minute. Not a single player on the roster was was here on that team, obviously, from 2016. So what is something that you always try to do in a new city or maybe a city like Seattle that we have not traveled to in a while? I'll go first because I was in Seattle yesterday. I went just like the salmon of Capistrano. What's the line? I don't, I'm messing that up <laughs> to, to the Pike Place Market yesterday. I think it's like what you have to do. It's the law in Seattle mm -hmm. that you have. And I went and had lunch there, but I'm a, I, I base, I love to, um, I've become like a coffee snob over the last couple of years. I think when I wrote that, I did a book about the Brewers, the 50th anniversary book. Is it a coffee um, table? It's book? a coffee table book. Coffee yeah, table. I don't. Oh, okay. it, it, yeah. Yeah. I try to be subtle about it. If people want to get it, it's it's on Amazon. You can still get it. But um, I became a coffee snob while writing that book at Stone Creek. And and now I like to Yelp the best coffee shop that's near the hotel that's walkable and then walk. And then in getting there, you get a little tour of the city. So that's become kind of my strategy traveling. Yeah, it's definitely the walk. You know, I'm I'm here in Milwaukee and I walk. When I'm somewhere, I just walk around. There's no telling what you're going to see, the people you get to meet, um, the hole-in-the-wall spots. So, yeah, the whole minor leagues, I, I got spots all over uh, those minor league cities and some big league cities, too. I even got the courage to walk around in. So <laughs> uh, it, it's part of it. And those that, that's what you remember and love the most. I almost went to a Comic-Con in Omaha just to see a uh, um, Star Trek guy, William Shatner. But it was 50 bucks to get in. And it wow. was like, no, no, no. It was like $15 to get in, but it was like $50 for his autograph. Did and you I pay thought, it? You know what? <laughs> no, I didn't. I was like, you know what? Star Wars is better. So <laughs> I'm going to save my money. <laughs> oh, wow. Do you say that to William Shatner? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, oh, I, didn't. Geez. I, I just didn't. I couldn't justify that, man. I got a wife and kids. I'm in the minor leagues and couldn't justify $50 to William Shatner. So maybe one day, but that's the kind of stuff you would never know about if I wasn't walking around in downtown Omaha. Yeah, I love walking. I'm a, I'm a big fan of like a, a walking tour, which is basically I did the same thing, Adam. I did a couple of things that you're like, legally obligated to do when you're in Seattle, which is stop at the Pike Place Market. I had a delicious salmon sandwich and clam chowder for lunch, which honestly, I might just double down and go back there today. Tim's, uh, sorry, ooing, Tim. Ooing I know. Yeah, Tim oh. is ooing and eyeing. Um, did the Space Needle, walked the waterfront, walked by the pier, walked uh, by the Great Wheel. So yeah, we are, we're checking off all the Seattle must stops. Um, I always love a good coffee too. I love a grab a coffee, walk and talk. That's that's sort of my jam in this city. Well, let's also share with fans that Sophia Minert has more lunches on her calendar <laughs> with with colleagues across Major League Baseball than anyone in the history of this game. If there's how many travel days do you think you have? A hundred, something like that? No. Yeah, probably a hundred. No, I try not to do that. I try oh, to have my, my days more or less free. Okay, well then I'm then I'm wrong. Yeah, you but you have these you have great colleagues who are in your role like me. That, that's one of the best yeah. things is you and I each have colleagues in the same role in this other city. Mm -hmm. That it's really that's the one of the best parts of traveling is catching up with them. And I know you are very good about being close with so many of those those people. Yes, I try to be, and and with the New Balance schedule that is totally in our favor for social yeah. time. So yep. I, I am excited about that um, to see some of our friends and colleagues that we don't get to see as often. Um, do you guys have favorite and or least favorite cities to go to? Dealer's choice. 
I mean, we and I was in AAA forever. Didn't really like going to Fresno that much. It got better over the years, but we just kind of stay in a tough spot. Um, there were some local breweries that ended up opening up, so I tapped into that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I some of my favorite places. Oklahoma City is a fantastic place uh, in the minor leagues. It could easily be a big league spot, maybe one day. Um, and as far as the big leagues, I, I just I loved going to New York. I've been to so many like exhibits and museums there so as recently as the the wax museum last time last year <laughs> so i got my picture taken with everybody brad pitt p diddy uh bruce willis it was a big et so it was a big one for me uh, but yeah i just i like getting out in the cities because there's all sorts of like museums and stuff and everyone's got their own little quirks but um old sack sacramento uh, California is really good too. They got old sack, like an old Western city there. So I, anyway, I miss playing baseball, but hopefully I'll be traveling soon with, with this new gig. Well, my favorites are, I love DC. That's mm -hmm. one where I'm always up early and out walking around. Um, and Pittsburgh is the underrated trip in the big leagues for me. Oh, yeah. I love the Pittsburgh trip. Everything's right downtown. There's all the rivers. There's great running routes, walking routes, Tons to do, great food, hole-in-the-wall spots that you can find, a great road trip, um, and definitely one of my favorites. For me, like everyone in my role will say the least favorite is St. Louis. Like 30 out of 30 MLB.com reporters would say St. Louis, but I like, or 29 out of 30, because I'm going to say, I don't, I like going to St. Louis because it's all right downtown. There's tons of hotels to choose from. I got my, the breakfast at the Rooster is phenomenal. You'll see some brewers in there if you probably go in the morning. It, it's just a, it's just an easy trip and it's good. You know, there's going to be a bunch of butts in the seats. It's, I think it's a, I think it's a fine trip. I don't know. Um, I will, I will counterpoint that one, Adam. And this is just from my <laughs> personal experience. Well, you guys don't stay in St. Louis. You stay in like, I don't know where, way out in the sticks. Correct. We, we used to stay downtown St. Louis, like right, right pretty much right across the street from the ballpark, which yeah. a lot of teams used to do. Uh, and we have since moved to a different location. However, I will say for me personally, some of the hottest, sweatiest, uh, nastiest games have come in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. um, there is absolutely no protection from the sun there. Um, and, and in our spot, I, I do like that you're on the like home plate side of the dugout instead of being base side of the dugout. So, I mean, you're, I feel like sometimes I'm sitting next to Craig council during the games, which is a little unnerving when you're having to like talk about the team and, you know, you might be talking about something or something he said, it's, it's a little unnerving to be that close, but it, it's cool. It's a great perspective um, to be that close to like the on deck circle and home plate. However, if he wanted to Sophia, could he like lean in and say, actually, Sophia, Here's Probably. what I said. Actually, yes, because I almost feel like I have to do like a Jim Nance whisper because I'm like, <laughs> <"You can't agree." laughs> or the Sophia players, at you know, the, the Masters. The players are coming up and down the stairs to get on the on deck circle. I mean, it's it's a great perspective, but it's a little bit like, okay, they're right next to me. Um, but really, you feel like you're in a frying pan down there. Um, in you know june july august sometimes even september you feel like you're in a frying pan down there so that's personally my perspective on st louis um i love san diego and adam we have to uh we found a new spot mr tempo oh tim oh my god we have video we have pictures we have josh mauer with a margarita with a firework uh <laughs> next to it going off and he's smiling text it, it was text it to me oh there, my, were, I will. there were pyrotechnics involved there was, there was so much neon. sugar in that stuff i mean i think i honestly the next morning i thought i was having like a medical event <laughs> and i'm pretty sure it was it wasn't because i had too many margaritas it was because i think i had 800 cups of sugar in the margarita mix Ooh. yeah um, so I'm, I'm going to go coast to coast. I love going to San Diego because I love walking the Marina. I love, you know, just all the restaurants that are right there. You're right across the street from Petco. It's just easy fish tacos. Everyone wins there. Um, and then I also love New York, but that's just for obvious reasons. So, uh, those are kind of my, my go-tos, um, you know, I'll just add one little thing, having the colleagues that travel around. If you if we did this with other writers and broadcasters, I think that a lot of them would put Milwaukee on their list as the places mm -hmm. they love. Yes, it's, I that's I mean, not to be a homer, but I I'll just add that. 
No, I totally agree. I feel like, you know, for you, like the Pittsburgh, like the underrated, convenient, I think that's how people feel about Milwaukee, especially like if you stay downtown or in the third ward, I think the roof is a big part of that too. I think people do genuinely love coming to Milwaukee and going to American Family Field. Um, how about we'll wrap this up for the travel portion. Um, which ballpark should every Brewers fan have on their list? I'll say my favorite. It's been my favorite for ever. I think it's the coolest place to visit is Dodger Stadium. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. Okay, then I'll say a different one. Then I'll say Fenway Park. Oh, I, I think I'm adjusting my 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 top ballparks are Dodger Stadium's number one. I love Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's so peaceful and cool with the waterfalls and the giant scoreboard. I love that trip. Petco, I think, has moved up to number three and um, Boston, then probably number four, because it is just a unique experience in terms of the way it's tucked in. I, Wrigley is similar, but but Fenway is just a little more tucked in. There's so much stuff happening right around there. there. Again, there's tons of hotels downtown. You can walk to the ballpark every day. It is a wonderful road trip. And in this pre playing everybody era, it was rare. So now it's going to be more common and you can go basically every other year, but it was the rareness of it was part of what made it really special. So that's always one that is like, Oh, I got to get on the Boston trip. Yeah. I I'm going to go Dodger stadium just because my dad played there, but also Boston. So that was going to be my, my top, you know, sharing at number one, it's hard to beat Fenway park, right? Like it just, and they updated it so well, you know, like 10 years ago, it's, it's just beautiful. It has all the nostalgia. Dodger Stadium the same way. Met Vin Scully when I was there. It's just, it holds so much when you're there You and you feel it and it you see it. And that's what you're reminded of, of all those images you saw on the screen and the voices you've heard and the movies you've seen. Um, but also I agree with Kauffman Stadium. A lot of people don't know. There's like a whole huge tunnel that goes over to the, to the football stadium, right? Did y'all ever go through there? No. Yeah, there's like an underground tunnel that goes all the way, you know, across like underneath, you know, the big old parking lot or whatever. It's pretty cool. And it, what, how old's that stadium? It's like 70 years old or something. I don't know, 70 years old, but it's, it's one of the oldest. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought, yeah, you you named all three that I probably was going to bring up. So look at us. I think Dodger Stadium might be, you know, I wonder whether it's, we're looking at it from our perspective, kind of working there. Tim, you as a player. And Sophie and I broadcast, you know, (laughs) writing and broadcasting because it's, it's just a comfortable place to be. And then it's so beautiful when the sky turns purple every night at dusk, maybe, I don't know if we're like, if it's the fan experience is the same as what we're getting at working there. Uh, I don't know. And the other thing that I love about that, I've probably mentioned this on the pod before it's the speaker tower because it's, (laughs) it gives me County stadium. It gives me childhood at County stadium vibes. Gives me grateful dead vibes. (laughs) <laughs> the wall of speakers yeah adam to be honest i thought you were gonna say the dodger dogs <laughs> oh, the dodger dogs are the best people say dodger dogs are overrated yada yada whatever there, i've said this before i'll say it again there is a place in the world for a super cold light beer i'm not so much of a beer snob that i don't want a ice ice cold miller light now and then and that's the same as a dodger dog sure there's more <laughs> sophisticated food to have in los angeles but give me a Dodger dog with a little mustard. Again, the beautiful purple sky. It's the sixth inning. The game's going. Probably a nice crisp pitcher's duel at Dodger Stadium. Oh, man. The speaker Here, tower is blasting. The speaker tower blasting your innards. I love that place. <laughs> Here's to you, Mr. Footlong Hot Dog Inventor. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I agree. I love Dodger Stadium. I love Fenway. Um, I'll say one that I'm really looking forward to, cause this is one of the last two that I'm missing that I will check off this year is I've never done a game in Toronto. Hmm. So I'm looking forward to going there. Um, and I love Toronto, the city. So I'm just, I've, I went there quite a bit with the bucks when I was traveling with them and for some of those post seasons, um, between the bucks and the Raptors. So I'm really looking forward to our trip to Toronto and, and their stadium. I hope you guys get a roof open day. Roof open in Toronto is really cool. That's what I'm hoping for too. But I'm just, I'm just eager to go. So I'll report back on that. But um, guys, I think that's it for this. Uh, as we're wrapping up a 10, 
10 day, 10 game road trip. We're going to get home. We're going to have a long, long homestand starting with the Boston Red Sox this weekend. So that's going to be fun. And this is kind of part of the unique part of the schedule is we're getting three straight American League teams. And we had breaking news this morning that we should mention to help uh, Leslie Sokoviak, who works in business PR for the Brewers, that they're going to open the gates on Saturdays now, two hours early. I will say this, too. Uh, the the Angels coming into town. I was looking at Otani's schedule, pitching schedule. Looks like he may be throwing Saturday the 29th. Ooh. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know. A lot can change. But if it stays the same as it did from opening day, um, he would be throwing Saturday the 29th. So that's awesome. That's that's very cool. Yeah. So when we'll wrap up uh, the series here in Seattle on Wednesday afternoon, head home. The team will be off Thursday and then it's the Red Sox for three games over the weekend. Then it's the Detroit Tigers for three days. And then that following weekend, starting Friday, the 28th, it's the Angels for three games. So it's big homestand, long homestand, which is going to be great after this long road trip. So. We'll have a lot more to talk about when we get home. But that's a wrap here for Brewers Unfiltered. Sophia, Tim, Adam, make sure you follow us all on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following the Brewers um, at Brewers on all of the appropriate social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that fun stuff. So thanks for listening in. I'm Brewers Unfiltered.